You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. It's that time again for another episode of the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson. And today's episode is a story about a buck. And the guy who is telling this story, his name is Josh Prophet. And Josh shares the story of a buck that he calls Bones. And it's a story of a a deer that he had encounters with, uh, that he had on trail camera, that he knew about and had history with for, I think, three years. Uh, maybe, Maybe more, but for sure three years. And this story, believe it or not, does not end the way a success story is supposed to end. And it's a really good episode. I'm going to keep a little bit of mystery here so you guys go and listen to the episode. So it is a really good um, uh, podcast where a hunter goes into detail about everything trying to hunt a specific buck. And so I've done that before from 2007 to 2000 and I'm trying to think 2000 and and I want to say 11, I was solely focused on one buck. And for me, it did not happen. I did not get the opportunity. I I got the opportunity. I got one, maybe if you want to count another one, two opportunities at this buck in that four year period. And eventually he was shot by uh, a neighbor that uh, uh, ended up getting him. And, and I'm sure, sure you guys have heard that story of shipwreck before. And so that's what today's podcast is about. Uh, Josh Prophet's uh, obsession and, and, and his relentless pursuit, I guess you could say, of this buck named, named Bones. Now, before we get into the episode, we got to thank our sponsors over there at Tethered Wasp Hunt Stand and Vortex. If you're looking for a good saddle, saddle hunting accessories, a saddle platform, uh, all the, the climbing sticks that you need, go check out Tethered. If you're looking for one of the best manufactured broadheads, in my opinion, in the on the market, that's Wasp. Uh, I am a huge fan of the three-blade jackhammer. I've killed tons of deer throughout the year with that. And if I have to use a uh, certain states, uh, you know, it's mandatory to sh- uh, use a fixed blade. Then I'm going with the Boss Four Blade. A majority majority of their heads are made in America, and I do have a discount code for you for 20% off. NFC. 20nfc20wasparchery.com hunt stand if you're looking to take your your strategy your uh, let's see your strategy your uh, your 
planning, your preparation, your uh, just the more time, putting in more time towards being successful out in the woods, you need to go to pick up, uh, you know, hunt stand. And if you already have hunt stand, you need to bump it up to the pro whitetail platform and uh, take a look at everything that they have to offer. I'm not going to get into all the details now, but what I want you to do is go into go to huntstand.com, read up on all the functionality. It's like journaling for your time spent in the woods. It's just amazing. And, and then last but not least, Vortex Optics. If you're looking for a badass uh, optic, whether that is a rifle scope, a red dot, binoculars, range finder, and, or spotting scope, go check out uh, vortexoptics.com. Great people, great customer service. Read up on their VIP warranty. It's a, it's a win-win. So there's the commercials. And I say, let's just get into today's episode, man. It's a killer. Three two, one. All right. On the phone with me today, Mr. Josh Prophet. Josh, how we doing, man? Man, I'm good. I'm on my lunch break. Figured I'd knock this podcast out with you. Yeah, absolutely. And you have a very interesting story to tell. Um, you know, one of the things that I learned on as a, as a bow hunter specifically, trying to get deer close to you, just close to you, right? Is that you you try to put yourself in a position to be in control and you learn from a very early on, uh, in, in deer hunting that you are not in control. <laughs> and so, uh, that is kind of why we're talking today. Correct, man. I, I feel like way more oftentimes than not, the deer definitely has the upper hand or mother nature or you as the hunter are definitely on the lower end of things. Right, right. Absolutely. And so we're, we're going to keep this, uh, this BS intro real short and get into the story here. Um, but why don't you tell everybody where you're from and what do you do for a living? So I'm born and raised in Western Kentucky. It's the only place I've ever been, uh, coal miner my whole life i actually hung that up a little over a year ago and uh enrolled in barber school i'll be done here in about six weeks so big changes going on big changes yeah that is uh, a huge change from a coal miner to a barber that's that's probably the (laughs) biggest swing anybody could do yeah, I got uh, I got tired of working in the coal mines, and you know my buddies back here cutting my hair, making good money, making their own schedules, seeing their kids, and doing what they needed to do. So yeah, I feel that. I feel that. I tell you, I look back at where I'm at now compared to where I was, and man, I after doing what I'm doing, you would have to drag me into that back into that cubicle lifestyle man there's no way I, I could ever do that again same with me um i do not want to go 700 foot underground and dig any more co i've dug enough for a lifetime <laughs> yeah i feel that all right so um crazy story like i i followed along once once you showed me a picture of the deer you were chasing, you know, big deer, hold interest. And then I find out it's a multiple year story, right? So this year, uh, I found out that you were chasing just like this magnum of, uh, of a buck. And so I end up, uh, I end up, you know, I find out that the deer 
is dead. So we set this whole thing up, right? So without like giving, you know, the spoiler alert, giving the ending away, I think the it's a giant deer. You put a lot of work into trying to track this deer down. But when does this story of this buck actually start? So uh, three years ago, I guess, three seasons ago, uh, to my knowledge, the deer was, uh, I guess, two years old then. Uh, that's when it started, and that was hardcore in my in my traditional days. That was my longbow days. Okay. All right. And so the it was a this two year old buck. When when I hear two year old, depending on what state you're in, uh, like you, like for me, two year old, I don't even remember him. I don't think about him. Right? Was there something special about this buck as a two year old that caught your attention? that you said hey this deer has big potential oh yeah i mean just um i mean he was a two-year-old with a four or five-year-old rack you know it looked like and that you know hence his name we i named him bones just because he he had so much bone on top of his head (laughs) yeah yeah so he's this two-year-old and small body big antlers or as a two-year-old what do you think this buck scored? Man, it was so hard. This I actually seen him this year or that year. I, I passed him with a longbow. Um, in velvet, he looked. It was so hard to tell, man. He was so knotted up. One fifty wouldn't be out of the question, but when he shed his velvet, I felt like it was more like one forty, one thirty-five. But it's when they get that many points, I mean, this deer at two years old probably had 20 points. Yeah. You know, you just, it's hard to really say, but he was very abnormal. You know, he's the type of deer that when you get a picture of him and a lot of people don't like, you know, that he will be something special. Yeah. So as a two year, as a two year old and you, you're like, holy cow, this is a, this is a genetic freak, right? So as a guy who's been doing this a while, you can look at a deer like that and go, you know, if I, if I pass him, there's a chance he just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and gets create like more non-typical and things like that. So once you identified this buck bones, what was, and, and you passed him, did you think about him a lot or did you just kind of go on to the next one? You know, there was a very big eight-pointer that he ran with. It was probably in the low 150s then. That deer was really in my radar. But I kind of flew past him, and I flew past him because uh, this particular piece of property, it was pretty unique. You know, I'm I'm known for hunting public land. This was a, a private parcel, but open to public hunting as long as you paid a trust passing permit okay so it was essentially thousands of acres you paid a small price and you could hunt it under statewide regulation so it was man it was when i say it was tough hunting it was the toughest hunting i've ever got to experience because you don't realize what how baiting can mess up deer hunting until you get on a place like that yeah. Um, where you know everybody baits and and things so I 
you know, make a long story short, I, I did not like hunting there. I do not like hunting there. So it didn't take long. You know, I knew I wasn't going to shoot him. Um, and I actually had a good friend that was keeping tabs up on him. Um, so I just kind of, I kind of pressed on. I ended up um, switching properties until late season that year. Gotcha. And that would have been 19 or 20? 20. 20. Okay, 20. All right. So, yep. so you have an encounter with this deer or, I mean, you know about him, you pass him eventually, you kind of just, you go on by him, you forget about him. Now, I want to talk a little bit about this property because uh, this is this is very unique, almost like a pay. Like I know out west, they have a walk-in program where a private landowner can give access to the state, and anybody can go hunt there. But this is with a fee. So, did a lot of people have the same idea as you, and um, you know, pay that trespassing fee to try to hunt this property? Oh yeah, so. I would say they sell 300 permits, um, and I don't know how big it is. Let's just say it's 10,000 acres, and it's all broke up okay. across the county, so it's not one big piece. I mean, it you, it's literally, there may be a 2,000-acre partial and a 60-acre partial five miles down the road. Okay, so it's almost like a program uh, where uh, landowners can be a part of this program and you pay the fee to the state, and the state manages that? No, so it was oh. privately owned by by a co-company. Oh, okay. The co-company was closed down, uh, but they had a guy that kept up with all all the land and the management. Ah, I gotcha. And he just didn't, he liked to hunt, and he thought it was a good idea to to open it to the, you know, to the public to hunt. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, I've actually heard some guys in West Virginia uh, take advantage of a scenario like this and it may have been more of a lease but a lease with a lot of people on it you know what i mean not necessarily a trespassing yep. fee yeah okay so so on this particular where this particular buck lived um talk to us a little bit about the terrain where he lived the maybe if there's any ag food source bedding you know talk to us about where this buck lived and maybe a little bit about how he maybe moved through the terrain so the terrain was relatively flat especially compared to what i'm used to and it's more ag farm type uh, so small woodlots with ditch lines and fingers connecting other small woodlots if that makes sense yeah. so a lot of fields a lot of small woodlots and the, the, the company that owned this, they had cut the timber to you cannot cut the timber anymore. Um, just everything was, as far as the timber was, was just one big thicket. It didn't matter if you went here, there, or anywhere. You were, it was basically like rabbit hunting. Yeah. <laughs> so, so they went in, they took down all of the mature trees, maybe even some that weren't ready yet. And it became just this this low browse mess. Correct. Yeah. Uh, to the point to where you know you could sometimes, depending where you were at, you know you were struggling to find a tree, or or you, you know your setup may only be six or eight foot off the ground. Yeah. Um, a lot of a lot of WRP. So it was all strip mine ground. Basically, most of the timber was was cleared off 
Um, and then they took the top co out of it. And then they ended up rolling it in and like WRP, uh, replanting trees. But the specific area this deer was in, he basically lived in these 20 to 60 acre woodlots. Uh, and he would never, to my knowledge, he would never leave eight or 900 acres his whole life. Okay. And 75% of that was wide open fields. Um, and he would just bounce around from woodlot to woodlot, running drainages or ditch lines, whatever he needed to, to, to cover his ground. Yeah. So not only do you have this, this buck that is just genetically blessed, right? He's got big antlers, but at the same time, he's living in cover that is very hard to hunt when it's not like the rut, right? He's not running all over the place in October or late season, right? Um, did, so 2020 happens right did you go looking for his sheds or invest any time during that off season after the 2020 season was over to maybe check this area out check this specific buck out uh, and i just basically put more energy into locating him again man i, I actually i didn't um I have another good friend that knew a lot about the deer his name is joe joe looked for him some but uh, it just, he really wasn't on my radar, you know, yeah. I'm so, my motto is I hunt like a coyote. And what I mean by that is basically I just stack as many good bucks on a few hundred acres and that's where I hunt. So this whole hunting one deer, it's, it wasn't really for me. He, and I was thinking, you know, maybe 2021 when he's a three-year-old, that's when he'll really hit my radar. But right now I just wasn't too concerned about him. So the whole year of 2020, uh, minus early and late season, I did not invest very much time on the property. Okay. All right. So you moved on, right? You went to hunt different right. deer in different places. All right. So the 2020 season's over. Um, he comes, uh, now it's time to start getting ready. Let's just fast forward. Did, did your buddy, find any of his sheds or like no, get we've never found none of his sheds okay never found any of his sheds did he get any trail cam pictures or verification that he was still alive after the 2020 season oh yeah we him and i both had them i okay. left a couple cameras there and he had a bunch we knew he made it so we were we were definitely looking for him uh in 2021 as a three-year-old okay so as the summer progresses into you know, the velvet starts to grow. How long did it take for you guys to locate him again? Or was this an area that you, like you said, you kept your trail cameras out. Did you always have tabs on him? Yeah. So the, you know, this particular piece is actually right here by my house. It's like a 15 minute drive, which is very rare for me. Yeah. Um, so it, it gets kind of interesting because, um, in 2021, the deer turned typical. And if if somebody was to look at the deer, like I have friends, some people that look at the deer and they're like, "There's no way that's that's the same deer from year to year to year." But yeah. you know, you know, just as well as I do, Dan, when you spend enough time chasing a deer, or mess with a deer enough, like you just you just you really feel like you know. Yeah, yeah. So we had this 
you know, nice, uh, I think he was a 10, a clean 10 pointer, probably 160 inch deer. He started showing up, you know, all through June, July and August. And I was still looking for bones, but it was weird because this deer was doing all the same things as, as, as bones was doing. Yeah. And then the, the, when he shed his velvet, that's when we could realize there were a couple holes and a couple characteristics that were the same. And then, so we were like, this has got to be him. He just, we figured he got hit by a car. The, uh, the property is actually right on a, on a parkway. We, we figured he got hit by a car when he was two. So when he was three, we just figured he cleaned his rack back up. Huh. Which is crazy because usually, uh, if some, if, if a deer is hurt or injured, then they go non-typical if they're typical. Right. So that's just completely opposite of what normally happens. Yeah, I mean, that's what I was thinking. So I was thinking, like, in 2020, he got hit by a car. 2021, he got his stuff back together and his rack was normal. Um, and I, I can't say that, you know, that I'm 100% for certain that it's the same deer, but I'm telling you, I'm I'm like 90% sure because he would do everything to the T down to a few days, like when it started, when he started, you know, moving across, you know, three three quarters of a mile across the field he started doing all the same things so we were just like man that's got to be him yeah has to be there's no other deer here (laughs) right right did he have any characteristics like a split ear or a like a a specific throat patch that you could use to identify him yeah he had two things that he kept he had a real short throat patch the white on his throat patch was real short and then he kept a hole when he was three years old. He kept a hole on the left side of his rack that he kind of had real close the year before. Okay. All right. So we were just like, it's got to be him because this the deer density on this place is as low as it comes. Yeah. They're just the, the odds of a new buck showing up just in the rut. It's not even that good. Yeah. Um, so we just put the put it together that you know that hey that's that's him. That's him. Okay. So and, go ahead. And he was, he was on the hit list for sure yeah. last year when he was three. Yeah. So now he's bumped up to this 160 class, typical 10, which is a gigantic animal. Um, and so you guys have, you have somewhat of a beat on him, right? You know where he lives. You kind of know the route he was running. You have the historical data of him. You know, you got the trail cam picks, all that good stuff. And so as, you know, you identify he's still alive, how does that all that play into the start of the season as far as you or your buddy and and the strategy that you put together to try to get this deer? So I still wasn't all sewed in on him. He was a great deer. There was another deer that was with him that ran with him the year before. They were back together. I mean, it was just everything, all the confirmations that were lining up that it was him were lining up. Yeah. And I really wanted the other deer because he was seven to nine years old, probably 170, uh, just a gigantic 10-pointer. The, the big cage, the big frame you wanted. 
Um, but I still was not all in on this deer. And I, the reason why is because there just were no deer. There were no deer to hunt. Yeah. When you hunted there, you didn't see anything. So I had two deer that, uh, that I would shoot there. And honestly, I bounced around quite a bit in 2021. All right. So with all that said, then, you know, you, 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 this buck lived on a, a property that had very little deer. Sounds like a lot of the movement was nocturnal. He was running with another buck, but it sounds like you still weren't all in on, on this buck yet. So what was your plan then for the 2021 season? You know, ever since 2019, I have really struggled to get on some deer on different properties. And, uh, you know, 2021 was no different, man. Um, I actually, it, I was trying to keep tabs on this deer and then trying to hunt this, this bigger deer a little bit, but, um, I was so scatterbrained and it, and it showed itself too, because I ended up really not getting on anything all season between that property and about two other ones. Um, but I, I really wanted that big 10 pointer that, that bones was running with, but the deer were just so nocturnal, even during the rut. Um, I hunted so much and I've seen some deer and I passed some probably 130 inch deer, but I just, man, it, you know how it is, the, yeah. the grind and the struggle, man. They, and for these listeners out there that, you know, maybe out east or somewhere that, that hunt where there's not a lot of deer, like my hat's off to you because it makes for a grinding season. Oh, yeah. I just imagine, I had this conversation with a guy from Vermont a while back, and he said he saw four deer. And I'm like, oh, four deer in a night isn't so bad. And he goes, no, four deer all season. So I just um, I just put myself in his shoes for a second and just be like, what would happen if I went from that? If I had to go from Iowa to that type of environment? Dude, I think I might have a mental breakdown, to be honest with you. It, I mean, it just takes all the fun out of it. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, unless, you're, then, unless you grew up in that environment. I just, I don't know if I could... I would think I would have to find something else. Yeah. I mean, something else outdoors. I like yeah. to be outdoors, but I just couldn't, I couldn't imagine yeah. seeing four deer. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's nuts. So, so then, but when you say keep tabs on him, you know, I, I followed a little bit of your social media, um, you know, your Instagram stories and whatnot. And it sounds like you were in vet, like not necessarily invested in hunting him, per se, but invested in keeping tabs on him through just like a whole army of trail cameras. Correct. Uh, I had cameras. I had about mm, 60, 50, 60 cameras on about 1200 acres. Okay. And which is, is less than I normally run. And that's a lot smaller piece of property that I normally run my trail cameras on or that particular piece. But yeah, I mean, I was, I was real interested in seeing what would show up. I was real interested in, in seeing what he would do, but you know, from, from 2020 to 2021, you know, I thought he was going to make that big jump and he didn't. And then, so I still kept my tabs on him, but you know, honestly, just, I kind of put him on the back burner. He was a, he was still a great deer and he was, he was still young, 
but I just, I don't know, for some reason, I just wasn't all in on him. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. So what did that trail camera data tell you in 2021 then? I mean, did you learn more about where he was living, how he was moving through the terrain and get an idea of maybe his core living area? I did. I did for sure. Um, he was doing all the same things he was the year before when he was non-typical at, yeah. at two and a half, but that definitely, um, it definitely narrowed down his home range. And when I say home range, the deer really liked to be on about 60 acres. That's like where he really liked to be yeah. um, and, until November. And then probably after about December 15th, that's where he really liked to be. And I've never known a deer to want to stay on something that small. Man, especially if there's no deer like a low deer density and I'm just assuming that the does were less. And so during the rut, my, I would think that that buck would be like, okay, it's time to go find some ladies and spread his wings and, and start traveling some more. Did, did he do that? Exactly. That No, that's no. what I thought. Like he never, he never left that eight or 900 acres to my knowledge. And I know I would have caught him. Yeah. I know I would have at least got a picture, one picture of him, um, somewhere, um, he could go about a half a mile and, and get on some more does, but he was, he, when he turned three, he started to get real nomadic. I, I couldn't really figure out any rhyme or reason, right. um, to what, to, to what he was doing. It, you know, a lot of things he was doing did not make any sense to me. Yeah. I couldn't figure it out. And, um, you know, if we were to fast forward to, to, to this year, that's when I really started putting like all the pieces together on him. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So I guess, you know, knowing kind of knowing that you didn't kill him and you weren't really all in on him as a three-year-old in uh, 2021, what was like, what happened in 2021? Like what was the rest of your season like? Man, it was a grind. It was yeah. a struggle. Uh, I've been there. I, I don't think this sounds sad, but I don't think I've seen a shooter from the stand. It, the whole uh, season. Correct. Now, keep in mind, this place is so thick. You, I mean, you could have a 200-inch deer 40 yards from me, and you would never know it unless yeah. you hurt him. It, yeah. I mean, that's just how it was. So, you know, I always knew I was playing chess with a lot of deer. And even and even these two good deer, I knew I was on them. But it's one of them deals where if you seen the deer, you was probably going to get an opportunity to put an arrow in him. Gotcha. Well, um, what was access like on this piece of property? I mean, do you, were you bumping deer? Do you feel like you were educating these deer when you were going in to actually hunt it? It, I don't think not so much me, but I think a lot of other people were, okay. and that's what made this place hard. Um, a lot of people rabbit hunted the fence rows and the ditch lines, and it kept all the deer huddled up in these in those small, uh, you know, thickets of woods, you know, twenty to sixty acres. But I mean, basically, they were a thicket. Yeah, okay. um, it kept all the deer cornered up in them. But you know, the only real way to access where this particular deer was which was horrible for morning hunts was you almost had to you had to come across the field yeah um and then so a lot of times i did catch myself actually showing up right as the sun was coming up 
Okay. Just, just, just for that reason, because, you know, when you got to walk down a ditch line through a field in the morning, that's just, to me, it's just not a very good feeling because, you know, I typically, the way I hunt personally, you know, that's typically where I expect my deer to be coming from. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Lay off the field, lay off the fields, you know, as far as access in the morning and try to find a different way in correct yeah. it was very it was very accessible but the way that you had to access it, it was horrible and it's completely opposite than the things i've been doing the last 15 years hunting this public land you know i've been walking anywhere from a half a mile to two miles in you know one way just wherever i needed to be and that wasn't the case here man like sometimes i would have to park my truck down the gravel road just so i wouldn't have to stare at it in the deer stand yeah uh, you know because yeah. it, I, you, it was just wide open fields and, and small and small little wood lots so it it really did man it really pushed me to the limit as far as using my head with the access because you didn't have to you didn't have to grind it out to find to 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 get on the deer because they may only be 40 or 60 yards off a gravel road right right so when, I mean, you and your friend knew about this buck, usually on public land, you know, there's a giant walking around. People know about it, uh, especially if it borders some, uh, some private where there's other hunters, the word gets out and, and deer start to, and like people start to know about this deer. So at this point in 2021, other than you and your buddy, did anybody else start to get keen on this deer? Not that I was aware of. And it's one of them deals where, you know, this place is, I don't know exactly, ten to 12,000 acres broken up. But I bet there's not five serious bow hunters that hunt the thing. Okay. So it's a lot of pressure from gun season, and it's a lot of pressure from small game hunting and, and fishing. Gotcha. Okay. So to, to my knowledge, um, and I try to fly under the radar just because I'm so paranoid about somebody hopping on my coattail or somebody finding where I'm hunting at that, you know, I, I wasn't asking around a whole lot, but it didn't look like that. I wasn't, um, I wasn't finding a lot of cameras. I didn't see a hardly any hunting pressure outside of rifle season. Yeah. I feel you. All right. So now like, so two really quick questions. Yes or no. Did you have any encounters with him in the stand in 2021? No. No. Okay. Second question. Was he consistent on trail camera in the 2021 season? Yeah. The whole okay. the 2021. Yes, he was. The whole season. All right. The whole season. And that man, God dang. And I, now I start to understand the frustration, right? And even with the other, you know, the big deer that you were chasing that ran with him, like nocturnal you- deer, getting, getting pictures of nocturnal deer. And then just not being able to get in there and shoot them, it would just be real frustrating. It makes you question yourself, and then you got but, and you know everybody else's question you. Yeah, uh, because you know I killed five, six years in a row, and then I've been on a dry spell for three, and I know, and I know what people are thinking, and yeah. and that's fine, but like 
you know, it, it was very obvious that the deer just didn't move. Um, it would take some kind of front. If I got, if we got a front, it, I mean, weather is king. If we got a front, I could normally get a glimpse of daylight of one of the deer on camera. Yeah. Um, and they were right there, man. That's the, that's the aggravating part. Like I would go into a place and I, and I would know the deer was there. I'd be like, I'm a hundred yards from him and just nothing, man. Okay. Whoops. And that, so 2021 was a very frustrating season. It ends without, uh, you know, any of those two deer hitting the dirt as you, as the 2021 season ends, um, and you come into the off season, what were, you, what were you thinking at that point? What was your mind back on this, on this property with those deer or had you kind of said, Oh, screw it. And, and went on to a different deer or a different property. I was ready to get as far away from that place as I could. <laughs> <laughs> I feel it. Uh, I mean, I understand. It, it just was, it was taken. It's kind of like what we've been talking about the last 15 minutes with these deer. It was taking all the fun out of the hunting just because, man, you just, you weren't seeing anything. Right. And then you, you know, when you start questioning yourself and man, when you, when you grind it out and you go do some all day sets or you hunt, you know, five, seven days in a row and you see two deer, man, that sucks. Yeah. Yeah. It does suck. So did you leave trail cameras out all year on that property? I did. Okay. I did. I I actually had pictures of that deer of bones in like, I think it was February 14th. He still had both sides on. Okay. Did you ever make an attempt to go out and, and look for his sheds? Man, not really. Okay. I didn't, uh, my buddy did, but I, I didn't, I didn't pour a lot into him. Gotcha. All right. Okay. So that season's over. No sheds were found. We're coming into the summer. How long before you located him again? This year? Yeah, in twenty in the beginning of this season or uh, this summer. I'm gonna say June. Okay, so uh, early. Yeah, oh yeah, early. I mean yeah. he was he was very nomadic, but outside of inside he was nomadic inside those that eight or nine hundred acres. Um yeah. And he was very predictable about where he would be, but we just could not figure out like, why is he over here one day? Why is he over here the next? Yeah. Uh, he was, he was, he was right where he was supposed to be. And man, he, he flip flopped. And I mean, you've seen the pictures. He yeah. went, he looked like he would score 200 inches and I know he didn't, but he looked yeah. like he'd score 200 inches in July. Yeah. Just a, a, a gnarly non-typical again. Right. Oh man, yeah, like 35, 40 points is probably roughly what he had. Yeah, that's... just blew completely blew up. Yeah, and you'll get that when they hit that four year old mark, right? I mean, uh, it, it's crazy. And, and so, and so, you get a picture of him, and now, and now, do you become all in on this buck? Are are, are you convinced? Are you sold? Or are are you ready to to just go in one direction? Oh, hundred percent. Like I was, it was him or nothing. And it was him till he died somehow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. And so the trail cameras, I mean, it sounds like your trail camera game, you, you had a net cast 
and it's just a matter of catching him. Did he prefer a specific area on that, you know, that 800 acres or that even that 60 that you said was he really, really liked the 60 acres? Was there a specific wind that he really liked on or if, if you said, hey, if it's a north wind, I bet you he's here. If it's a south wind, I bet you he's over here. If it's an east wind, I bet you he's here. Like, did you get that type of information? Absolutely, yeah. So I finally started figuring out why he liked that 60-acre parcel. Yeah. Um, and that 60-acre parcel, when I really, you know, started to dig into it, and I started kicking myself in the butt, too, because I hadn't been paying as much as – attention as i should have been the last two years yeah um but i just didn't but there was probably a three to five acre hoe in that 60 acres and i guarantee you he spent 70 percent of his life there yeah um and from everything i could gather it was literally just like a, a like a thermal hub or a big hoe a bunch of steep ravines going off into a bottom and i don't care which way the wind was blowing, he knew you were there. Yeah. If, Almost if like you a, went a, down a in funnel, there. like a, yes. a, a air funnel that just all funneled right down into one spot. Oh, that's exactly, that's exactly how it was because I remember specifically one time I went down there and I threw some milkweed out and I watched it go about 20 yards and then it turned around and it come right back past me. Yeah. Yeah. They're smart. I can't believe like, it's it's awesome to watch nature and like really evolution, right? These deer have learned to use their nose so well that it determines how they walk through the woods and through the terrain. And so like we we as humans, we rely on our eyes, but since we're not prey, like we don't have to be worried about anything. And so we're not using our our sense of smell to avoid danger you know what i mean like out in out in the woods so i don't know i I find that really interesting yes so what i started to realize is like me as a hunter like i've always put myself where i thought i needed to be um to kill a deer but then when i started hunting him it did it taught me so much i started thinking about where he really wanted to be versus where I thought I needed to be. Right. Yeah. And it really just started opening my eyes. Um, anytime we had a North wind, he would go, he would go half a mile away for a day or two. It didn't matter if it was the summer or if it was November, if we got a North wind, he would hit a drainage and he'd go hang out by the river for till, till it changed. Yeah. That's crazy. Right, it's almost like North Wind. Up, oh, he's going to go over the river for a couple of days, or and then and then uh, cycle back I mean, through the was, area. It was it was seriously like clockwork, like me and my and and you know, as hunters, you're thinking, oh, it's game over now because yeah. we've done learned so much. You know, we, we'd be looking at the forecast and be like, two days, we'd be like, he's going to show up at the river on Thursday. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure enough, about ten o'clock at night, he'd be down there on the beans or. He'd be over there on my buddy's camera or uh, why, why I have no clue, but he had a reason. Yeah. Okay. So at this point, at this point, you got it. Like you have him patterned. Uh, 
listening to you talk, you're like, I know where this deer's at. I know where he lives. I know what he's doing. I have enough information. I have enough trail cameras out to, to kind of know where he's at, at, you know, in a roundabout way at all times. But it sounds to me like before we started recording the other day, there was a couple curveballs, not necessarily from the deer, but from maybe friends or other hunters that made, made listening to you talk, I would say it made the experience muddy. Very muddy, like the kind of mud you step in and your boot comes off. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about that. Man, I'm going to tell you the same thing I tell everybody. Big deer do funny things to friendships. Man. I can't. I hate to, I hate to say it, but, I mean, they, they just, they really do. Um, I mean, to, just to start it, you know, like my buddy that I was hunting with, man, he's such a good guy, and he's going to listen to this podcast. I yeah. know he will. Such a good guy, and I promise you, he's he's better than anybody I know when it comes to finding the deer. Yeah. And he's not he's not a big public land hunter, but he's he's ate up with it. Yeah. And I I honestly felt like he pushed the deer around because if he wasn't getting a picture of the deer, it's like the deer wasn't there, and that was not the case. Yeah. Um, and baiting was legal there. Um, because it was privately owned and I, every camera he put out, there was a bait pile of some sort. And then, you know, as a month's time went by, not exaggerating, I felt like I found, we're talking August. Yeah. 20 different bait piles on a hundred acres of woods. Yeah. And that right there keeps the deer nocturnal in itself. Um, and then so that that opened another window for me. I started, you know, I tried to to talk to my friend about it, and I was like, "Man, I'm telling you, uh, you know, I really think you're messing up." Because every time I would go out to do a little scouting or check a camera, I'd find one of his cameras or I'd find a bait pile. Yeah. And then I would be like, "Man, this is this is not good because he was in here three days ago. Now now here I am back in here and like." I know this, you know, he ain't going to tolerate this. Yeah. Yeah. And man, did he not. <laughs> so, so he felt that the answer was bringing food into the scenario. Like he felt that bringing a bait pile is to get more pictures of him was, that was, it sounds like that was his strategy. I really do, man. I, okay. I felt like he was hunting. I felt like he was hunting pictures. Yeah. Me personally. Yeah. Okay. So he has, you know, it's legal. He has his reasons for doing it. You get frustrated at that because you feel that really all it's doing is educating this deer, boogering him up, and eventually the, you know, eventually you feel that the deer is going to respond negatively to this. Now, let me ask you a question here. Did you guys honestly communicate about this at all, uh, about maybe like the strategy to uh, whether it was you or whether it was him get going after this deer and working as a team, or did it become almost blinders for both of you where it's like, we both want this deer, and then the communication kind of lacked? 
there was there was some lack of communication um and i think it's because he knew that i didn't like the baiting yeah and he he was going to do it anyways and so he just didn't want to tell me and i think he'd done that to uh you know to kind of save the friendship and i told myself early on like he's such a good friend that i wasn't gonna let i wasn't gonna let the deer become between our friendship Mm -hmm. like i i wasn't you know i wasn't gonna let it ruin that yeah um but we we did communicate it but he would be like yeah i moved a camera over here um i did this i did that well i don't know if it was lack of so i would i would slide into a little different area and i'm not talking far and and i would find a camera or i'd find a corn pile or or something along those lines and ultimately man it it, i'm telling you it it turned the deer extremely nocturnal yeah and he really started to there was a big jump in the way that he acted from three years old to four years old like he he almost got to where he really didn't even want his picture taken yeah so something he he kind of knew something was up and his best defense is just to wait till it got dark and and then go yep go cruise his, his circuit yep and the and the thing about it is you know i'll say this early on i just quit using my cameras I, I I quit scouting because the deer was lit. Although it was eight or nine hundred acres, where the deer was actually at, you know, we're talking one hundred and fifty acres of woods total. So it's so easy to mess up. Yeah, I almost quit even scouting. I would scout with the stand on my back. Yeah. Um. So as <laughs> you know, I can understand. I can understand this frustration, but I'm trying to. I'm, I'm trying to play devil's advocate a little bit too, right? You know, obviously it's it's somewhat right. public land. He has the rights to this, just like you do. Um, you've you've both kind of expressed your, uh, you know, you've expressed that. Hey, man, I really do think that you're going to booger this deer up if if you continue doing what you're doing. What was his response to you when when you said when you voiced your concerns? Man, he would flip flop. Um... He, you know, I would tell him like, "Hey, hey, bud, if you put this corn pile out, like, you know, you ain't gonna get, like, you're gonna, you're gonna run him out of that little area, or you're gonna make, he's gonna avoid it." And there were times where the deer would would maybe eat a little bit, but what I say a little bit, just a few pictures, and then he would never be on it again, yeah. ever. And if you move that camera a hundred yards, you could get him almost instantly so he was still there but he really would that he really would avoid it yeah man that's frustrating and so like to me i I listen to that story and i just have two two buddies you know with a little disagreement where does it become like like a loss of friendship where where does that happen well that happens like two other buddies of mine did and they started dropping pins on my truck okay so (laughs) yeah so so people started to find out about this giant deer they went looking for you in hopes that they could get in there and find this deer correct yeah there were two guys to my knowledge both friends one is a lifelong friend um 
and they didn't know that my my guy my buddy's name is Joe. They didn't know that me me and Joe were so close. Yeah. So they were one guy was actually reaching out to Joe and saying, "Hey, I know where Josh is. Is you know, I just want a picture of this deer or or this or that or like he would he would drop a pin on my on my truck and be like, "What's this field planted in?" And then of course, you know, Joe would tell me, he'd be like, "Hey, you know, uh, so and so. He's asking, yeah, he's asking what this field's planted in. I'd be like, well, he dropped that pin on my truck. That's where my truck's sitting at. Yeah. Man, I'll, I'll tell you this public land's a different monster, right? Everybody has rights to it. Anybody can go do what they want. But there, like, I do feel like there are some unwritten rules that are just like courtesy, right? And that is if you, uh, you know, for example, if I'm hunting a piece of property and it's private, my buddies don't need to be going and knocking on that landowner's door to get permission to hunt, right? Like, I, I just, I look at that and I say, hey, man, that's, that's, not, that's not a good move right there, right? Or, or, you know, something along, something along those lines. Or, hey, man, you're talking to your buddy, even on public maybe, where you're like, dude, I ran into a giant last night down by the river. Oh yeah, dude. And then you guys have a conversation and then that person moves in on it. Right. And maybe you see him in there or you, he tells you he's going to go down in there. I feel like there are some unwritten rules to sharing information and, and dude, ultimately that is why, and I hate to say this, like I don't hunt with buddies. I don't hunt and I don't share a lot of information uh, unless the person that I know has a whole nother farm to themselves and they would never be interested in, in this. Or, you know, if anybody's ever saying, Hey man, I'm looking for a piece of property to hunt, blah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm not talking about where I hunt. Usually I'm not talking, I'm not sharing that type of information just because of what you're talking about. And I don't know if that makes me sound like a bad guy, but I just don't want, I just really want to prevent any of those situations from happening. It just all comes comes down to respect, man. Yeah. You, you gotta you gotta respect each other, and you gotta respect the game. And you know that this one guy in particular, he was just he was crossing the line, and I and I was lying to him, and Joe was lying to him. But he knew I was on a big deer, and he and he started to figure out where I was. And man, he just he just took it too far, and he and he ruined our friendship. You know, when you have to go behind a man's back and que- and ask questions to his friend mm-hmm. about him, but you know, tell him, hey man, let's not let let's not let Prophet know that I'm talking to you. Yeah, God that's, dang, that's that's shady. That's shady. So that's did, very shady, and that's exactly how how it went down. Yeah. Did and they ever try to make a move on this deer? It was coming, but I called him out. Yeah. <laughs> it it was. My guess is it was fixing to happen, and if it didn't happen this year, it was for sure next. But you don't go through all that trouble because we're talking a month and a half of messages, yeah. uh, dropping pins on my truck, messaging other people, asking them questions. You don't go through all that trouble if you're not going to make a move. Yeah. Ugh, this sucks, man. Yeah. Like it just it's it's just gross to talk even talk about it. 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 
it starts hunting a popular deer sucks man yeah it really does and uh, it it really started to that's like how my season was like i this is 2022 is the worst season i've ever had in my life it was i can't say that i've hardly had an ounce of fun took it out of you that sucks it's exhausting man it's we're grown man i just don't like drama and i like i i don't i wouldn't i would never do that to somebody yeah did you ever think about taking the high road i I mean it sucks because you have you have a ton of time and energy invested in this in this property in this area in this buck and then this happens did you ever think about walking away and just being like you know what fuck these dudes i'm out I'm not going to let this thing ruin my friendship with them. Cause I, dude, I'll be honest. I have some friends growing up and they're, they were, they're assholes at time, but I always kind of just stepped away, let them do their asshole things and then come back to them when they're done being an asshole or, you know, something like that. But it was never a real threat to my passion or uh, my time. If you, if you want to say that. And, and so I just would be like, ah, I'm out. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll talk to you later, man. And then you talk to him later. Right. Did you ever think right. about doing that? Or were you like, dude, Hey man, this is, this is me. I've done the work here. Man, those thoughts went through my head, but I knew deep down that I was I wasn't going anywhere. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I got, all I, I could tell you. my all I could tell myself, you know, the deer roughly scores scored two thirty. All I could tell myself was, this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Yeah. I'll never get a, a deer this big to hunt again, and it's so hard, Dan. It is so hard to live above reproach. Yeah. Because if if you know me, like I'm a team player, it, I really am, and I I like for everybody to do good. But there was parts of that where I was out there, and I was like, man, I could walk away from this right now and go shoot 135 inch eight pointer on a WMA, and I would be having there would be no drama, there would be no worries, and I would be having so much more fun. Yeah. I would say that thought was in my head every day of the season. Yeah. And it sucks that you have to think that way. It really does, man. It it really does. And I'm a lot like you. I do. I've hunted alone for at least probably my fourth season, but I've never had, I've never had bad luck. I got some buddies that I love to hunt with. um, And that would not do this to me that I've worked good with, but you know, when when it's all said and done, there's nothing there's nothing wrong with going out and being a lone wolf, neither doing yeah. it by yourself. Yeah. All right. So the drama happens. You don't want it, but it's there. Um, but you still got to try to hunt this deer, right? Uh, so, but the trail cameras are showing that your buddy who's baiting is 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 messing this up obviously i mean the trail camera data really doesn't lie at this point did you or your buddy who had a beat on this buck ever even lay eyes on him during this season from from the stand no no 
I said not. I was the only one, to my knowledge, that ever seen him from the deer stand, and that was in 2020. Okay. All right. And so, your buddy, whether he saw him or not, he told you he didn't. You know, he didn't see him. You didn't see him. Like, did you ever have a, a scenario where you were in a stand? And you went and checked tra- trail cameras or got a trail camera picture from a cell cam or something like that where you were close, but just like you said, didn't know he was there. Man, there was one time, and this kind of goes against my beliefs, uh, but I'll shoot everybody straight. It was probably the middle of October with. 45 minutes of daylight left and I got a perfect daylight picture of him 800 yards away on my cell camera. And I just, I literally just packed my stuff up and left. Yep. Because I knew there was, he had to cross the field and it was October, roughly October 15th. Like I knew there was no way that he was coming to me. And I knew that given his location, there was no way I was going to get to him. I literally just packed up and left. Dang. And that, that's a smart move, man. I've done that before where I, I've i done it before where I, it, it's maybe 10 or 20 minutes of light left and I see a buck, just a shooter caliber deer, one that I have trail camera pictures of, 300 yards away. I see him through the binos or something, you know, scenario he's in a field, but he's headed my way. And by the time he gets to me, it's going to be way too dark to shoot. So I just get out of the stand early and and leave and i've i've done that before because i don't want to you know sit in a tree stand for an hour after after dark so i I, and me personally i think that's a smart move so it sounds like it just kind of all went to shit there at the end man it did i mean when we start rolling into you know, pushing November like it, I'm telling you, it was hell in a handbag. <laughs> yeah. And, and the bait piles, I mean, was your buddy getting any pictures that, that you knew, knew of, was he getting any consistent bait pile pictures? <sighs> he had one right around late October, early November. Yeah. Um, that he could get a few pictures on, but what was really happening is the deer was leaving the, leaving the 60 going a half a mile to where the does were at. He would get nibble, nibble a little bit and check does all night. That's my opinion. That's what was going on. But in the grand scheme of things, you get to get a bunch of consistent pictures. No, he would get a picture of him standing in it, maybe eating it a little bit. And then it would hardly ever happen again. Yeah. What about the other big buck that he was running with the previous years? Uh, was he around? Was he in the picture anymore? We called him gangster, man. He never showed up. And yeah. he was probably seven, eight years old. And he was 170 class deer last year. He, he, and he lived. But he, he lived. He made it through the season. I had pictures of him in February. But he had never made it back. So I, my only assumption was he was dead. Yeah. Or there was some kind of power vacuum somewhere where he left, found opening, and just put himself in it, and and that was his new home. You know, I guess you know those three years that I had bones. The last three years, I, I had gangster. They, I mean, they were yeah. they were seriously they were running buddies early season and late season. Yeah. 
All right, so <laughs> here's here's the, the the part of the story where it's just like every, all the listeners are waiting for this this oh oh shit he showed up and you shot a moment right it, it didn't come it gets bad yeah it didn't it gets it, I mean we got some more things some more hallways we can walk down but it get, it gets bad before he dies yeah. like I can probably make the listeners want to pull their hair out let's hear it. Uh, it was right around early November. My buddy Joe, he, he met a guy, they exchanged numbers, you know, and I told you like, I'm, I'm, I'm laying low. And at this point I realized that people are finding out about the deer because I'm finding trail cameras Okay, and I've never found trail cameras here. So, so I'm like, they're, they, they know, they know. Well, Joe sends me this screenshot from this guy he met, and the screenshot goes something like this. Hey, man, I know you ain't going to believe this, but I was driving down the road, and I looked over, and there's a 200-inch deer that looks like he's got sticker points and drop tines on the side of the road. And I get within 60 yards of him and almost shoot him with my crossbow. So that that was the text message that this guy sent. Yeah, he was like, "I know that you're not going to believe this, but this really happened." Yeah. And of course, you know, we 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 know exactly what's going on. Yeah. The uh, guys, he didn't see him, right? I'm guessing he didn't see him. He's just moving in there. He knew the deer was there. Now he's he's moving in. Yeah, he seen him from the road with a doe. And he actually stocked up on him within 60 yards and almost shot him from, you know, nearly the road. Yeah. And then after that, you know, he's, he, he, he starts to get on him. He, he moves his cameras and he's a, he's a one or two stand guy that doesn't play his wind. He, he gets some pictures of him. And at this point, you know, my, my buddy Joe asked me, he's like, you think I should just tell him? I'm like, yeah, I, I really think you should just tell him because maybe like out of respect, us three won't end up in the same tree together. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we, we tell him nothing changes. Yeah. And I mean, me and these two other guys, I, I mean, we're hunting every day. Yeah. And a very small area. So is this like, uh, so you, you filled this guy in on the whole story. You're like, man, we've been putting a lot of time and energy in this piece. And so he found out about it. Like, how did he have your buddy's number? Right? Like, did your was your buddy sharing this information with him about where he was hunting? So my my buddy was was my buddy's pretty smart. No, he was he was giving the guy just every little bit of information he could to get to put everything he could in his hip pocket. Gotcha. about all the deer and what he was seeing. My my buddy was not going to show his cards, and this guy was telling everything. Yeah. One of those types of deals. But, man, we, you know, we're, we're like our first moving into our second week of gun season here, or of no, our first, second week of November right before gun season, and the hunting pressure just comes through the roof, and, on the weekends, there's people hanging stands for rifle season, and you know us three, along with a couple other people, are hunting now. And 
I mean, it's really getting bad and it's, it's November and you still can't get a picture of this deer, but like every eight days and he's, he's not leaving. He's just not moving and avoiding everything. Yeah. And that this is the year 2022 is the year that I really started paying attention to like, you know, people talk about, you know, like, Hey man, I got three years of history with this deer, yeah. but they don't think, they don't think like, Hey, that deer's got three years of history with you. Yeah. And they don't, and I learned the power of ground scent, like actually how long it can stay on the ground days. Yeah. I'm assuming. Yeah. Ugh. So, so now you got, instead of two guys working this buck, there's three guys working this buck and now hunting gun season comes in and there's infinity guys roughly you know like it just it comes comes through the roof and so you're still getting pictures of him he's still alive i mean at this point where you just like i'm gonna back like i look at a scenario like that and i go i'm gonna back out and i'm just gonna wait for everything to die down and then i'm gonna go back in maybe late season and try to get it get him what were, what were you thinking that was my buddy's thoughts, and I I was pouring the coat to him. At, at now, I'm at like set number 35 of the year. Yeah, I've done like 35 sets on this deer, and I keep telling myself like, you know, I'm trying to set myself apart from everybody else because I know I know more than anybody else does about the deer, and I and I like to think I was trying to tell myself like, hey man, you're you're the best of the best out here. Like, stay positive. This deer's been 10 steps ahead of you the whole time, but it is November, and you know he likes to be in these small woodlots. If you can just put yourself in the right place, man, like start telling myself, like, it may not happen because I'm good, but it may happen just because I've been out here so much. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I actually passed a real – probably my biggest deer I've ever passed during gun season, and the deer looked roughly – right around 150 inches and i let the deer walk right underneath me yeah <laughs> those like you said man big deer make people do crazy things yeah yeah i know and you know and i get a phone call and this is it this is where it all starts tumbling down towards the end i get a phone call I get a Facebook message from a guy that I've known for a long time. And he's like, Hey, I didn't want you to call me. So I call him. He's like, are you around anybody? I need to talk with you about something. I'm like, no, I'm alone. He's like, are you sure? And so I'm like instantly thinking like, he's going, he's going to tell me like my girlfriend's been cheating on me. Or, <laughs> like something, <laughs> something bad is about to go down. Like really like, yeah, like federal like, investigation. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, yeah i'm getting nervous like i'm legit like a little claiming and he's like man i know where you hunt and i got a lot of respect for you because i seen your truck and i wouldn't say anything he said but right where i seen your truck the other day on the parkway there was a giant deer on the side of the road and the dudes were cutting the rack off of it oh shit like like yeah. it got hit by a car yeah, it's because the deer the deer lived on a parkway. I mean, he okay. lived right on on a four lane parkway where they drive eighty. Okay, all right. So I hop in the truck. The truck is, has no fuel in it, and I'm just like, I gotta go find this deer. Yeah. And I find him, and they literally cut the rack off like rattling antlers. They don't cut the skull plate 
or the head off, they cut the rack off. Right. And it looked like they cut it off fast with a sawzall. And then my other buddy shows up and we're like sitting here like crying on the side of the parkway. Yeah. He's like, I know this is him. I was, he's like, look at his throat patch. And the deer, like I said, it had a real short throat patch. Yeah. Real short. And this deer did too. And I was like, Joe, I don't think, I don't think this is him. This, this looks like a two or three year old deer to me. And the bones is just bigger. And yeah. Uh, you know, this, that, and the other. Um, and so I'm like, I'm just going to grind it out. And at this point, my other hunt buddy, he's, hang, he's hanging it up. He's, he tells himself like, this is, this is him. Yeah. This is him. And, uh, I hunt that afternoon. No, no luck. And then the next day after I was told he was hit on the parkway, Joe sends me a picture of the deer, uh, dead on a trailer on a trailer all right so on a trailer so he's dead so like when something like this happens i I, i've gone through this right where you you put a lot of time and energy i mean for me it was like it was four or five years for one deer right 2007 2008 2009 2010 i hit him when he was about 210 the next year um the next year uh the neighbor shot him right and so, luckily, the guy who shot him is an amazing person, like a, like one of the greatest people on earth, right? Just a really good human being. Uh, he's he's known for just slaying giants, and i I wasn't able to I wasn't able to harvest this or kill this deer myself, but I felt like I had invested a ton, and dude, straight up, I got emotional. Where I, I was like. God damn it, man. Like this sucks, but I was, ha- I was still happy for the other guy. And, you know, we, we have a, now we have this connection. The thing about it that frustrates me is I saw this deer multiple times from the tree stand. I had multiple years of trail camera history with him. Um, you know, I, I hit him once, couldn't find him the next year he survived. And that, that guy on the neighboring property saw him one time. And that was the night he shot him <laughs> October, October 18th or something. He's just like, yeah, I had a gut feeling a good deer would be in there. And sure enough, he showed up and I shot him. I was like, you never seen this deer before. He's like, no, I'd never seen this deer before. I'm like, are you kidding me? So anyway, uh, long story short that, you know, like I, I, I feel your pain, right? So you get this picture of, of this buck, you instantly know it's him. Now what's the story behind the picture? So i start digging. So I, at this point, um, I don't know anything. Mm-hmm. I just know that the deer's dead and there's, you know, the night before, I, I got the call. I actually had a guy call me and said, hey, do you know anything about like a 200-inch deer that was shot over here? I heard it was shot a long ways away with a rifle, and I was like, and I told the guy, I said, no, man, I don't, but I was told that a big deer was hit on the parkway. It's probably the same deer, probably the same story. Yeah. Somebody just got it twisted. Turns out he he was right. Um, 
all I had to do was make a couple phone calls, and within a half a day, I had the guy's name, contact information. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so did, so did you have, like, did you reach out to this guy and just be, like, to get the story? So what was the story? Who, who ended up killing this buck? Well, it turns out, man, that there was a – a guy from Whitetail Edge hunting the deer that that I got in contact with, one of Ben's guys, Ben Rising's guys. Uh, the story was, man, and you know, luckily I heard nothing but great things about the guy, and the yeah. deer was cured, killed legal. But it was my, to my knowledge, that the guy went out for his first hunt of the season. He sat down on the edge of a field, and 15 minutes before last shooting light, he ran a doe all the way across the field and he stopped right in front of him and he shot and dropped him. At, at what yardage? A hundred. A hundred yards. Okay. With a, yep. with a rifle, right? <laughs> with a rifle yeah. in a wide open field right there where the deer always was around that hub, around that 60 acres. He was killed right there. <laughs> I'm sorry for laughing, man. <laughs> that's a kick it's, in the nuts it's like it's like I, I, you should have been hunting field edges more <laughs> so here's the thing here's the thing on that my daughter we got a 243 and i let her she was shooting 200 yards great yeah and i took her i should have not but i knew that there were so many people over there and there just was no deer there was no deer i did 33 sets I did 33 sets and seen nine deer. So I was, I took her two miles down the road, but I should have known better. I should have known like, Hey man, we just, we need to grind it out and play on her phones or something. If this big thing walks out in the field, she's going to dump it. But, but I didn't, I didn't. And I actually got, I got my last picture I got of bones was the best pictures I got of him. Uh, it was two daylight pictures of him, and it was about forty-five minutes before he died. Yeah, man. So. And so this guy, this guy drops him. Did you get the opportunity to go look at his rack, hold it, anything like that? I didn't. I spoke with. I think it was his his son-in-law is who I spoke with, and the guy was about my age, and he told me that they. They rough scored the deer at 2.30, but he left five points off because he was just unsure of, and yeah. they were going to have it officially scored. But they were all super nice, man. And, yeah. like, looking back, like, I am happy for the guy because I'm all about people, you know, getting outdoors. And I told myself from the get-go, like, this is how I, I thought he would die. Yeah. And – you know, now that he's dead, it's it's seriously it's a relief. And like, I've already hit a, a different WMA, and I've had more fun the last two weeks than I have the last two years. Yeah, it's almost like this baggage. Like, obviously, it would have been great to kill this deer, but now the decision has been made for you. And for some reason, when a decision is made for you, it's easier to accept, and you can just go about your way now. Correct. Like that's exact. That's where exactly where I was. That's exactly where I am now. That that first night, I ain't gonna lie. I had me a couple cocktails. <laughs> I think we all would. But after after the crying of the first night, 
it was it was seriously a relief because I knew I could get the heck away from there. I could go back to my roots. And, you know, I tell everybody, like, I hunt like a coyote. I set myself up for opportunity in a place that's got an abundant amount of Pope and Young deer. That's how I like to hunt. Yeah. I've never been a one-buck guy. I don't have to kill a giant deer. If it's a solid three-year-old, I'm telling you, Josh probably gets pumped for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm just I'm just ready to get back to that. Yeah. Well, like what's what's next, man? I mean, that's you know this journey of deer hunting is almost a whole bunch of little short stories in a very long book. So what's the next story? What what's next, man? Uh, the next thing is I'm skipping school tomorrow and I got a couple of deer I'm going to chase on a different piece of public. There you go. So the, I've shift, you rebounded. Gears about, yeah, I've shifted gears about an hour away to a big WMA and um, I moved probably 20 cameras there, not many, and it's looking promising. I've seen more sun in those two weeks and the last two weeks of scouting it. I haven't hunted it yet than I have the last two years. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm getting daylight pictures of, of nice deer almost every day. Um, I had probably 140 inch eight, uh, right at dark last night. Yeah. Well, that's good, man. It's like, uh, I don't know. You, 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 I don't know. It's, I mean, it's one of those, it's one of those things where the story maybe didn't end the way, uh, you wanted it to, but the, it ended the way it was supposed to. And so if I could sit here, like that that buck that I, I talked about that I had five years of history with, I learned more about mature deer in those five years of hunting that deer and ultimately led me to become the bow hunter that I am today. What did bones teach you about mature deer movement or, or just deer movement in general? Man, they're just like you and I. They're they're all they're all different. I've chased. I've I've been on some big deer that were dumber in a box of rocks. Uh, this deer wasn't, and it was weird. It was cool to watch as each year went, as each year went on from two to three to four. His daylight movements went down each every year. Yeah. every year and it should and it did show me and this is not always the case but it, it did show me like um how they how they use the same areas over and over like almost down to the day and you know how they really play the wind and those kinds of things yeah yeah man uh you, it, that and that that type of information has no value right it's just it's priceless and so you, you take it away and you apply it to the next uh, the next hunt, and it makes you a better hunter. I think the number one thing I learned from this deer is I never want to hunt one deer again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I got, man, I, I completely understand that. Now, I, 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 so, would, I mean, I don't, I don't know. You know, I've already, if I was to say it, like, I've already had a run-in, and what I mean with run-in is intel, solid intel, of a near 200-inch deer right where I'm at. I've yeah. seen video of him. He's yeah. alive right now, but I'm, 
just the fact that he's there amps me up. But I'm I'm telling you, Dan, right now, I'm not like, oh, I got to find him. And it's him and him only. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. So the, I, I got to ask this last question, man. Do you think the friendships from this situation that may have been lost will ever be repaired? I doubt it. No, I doubt it. Yeah, you know me. Me and the guy that was hunting the deer hard, we didn't see eye to eye on everything, um, but we kept it. We, him and I, were both on the same page. Like if it come to it, like he was going to walk away or I was going to walk away, we weren't going to let it come between our friendship. But the guys that are, you know, messaging my buddies behind my back and dropping pins on my truck, I mean, they can go fly a kite. Yeah, understood. Understood. Well, I tell you what, man, this has been an amazing story. I love stories like this. Um, uh, you know, obviously I wish you would have shot him, but, uh, you know, you're a grinder and, uh, grinders, it happens for grinders. And so, uh, I I'm sending all the good vibes and good luck your way for the rest of the season. Hopefully you connect and, uh, dude, man, I just really appreciate you taking time out of your day to, uh, hop on this, uh, podcast and, and share your story absolutely man i appreciate you having me on and you know i hope you have good rest of the holiday season huge shout out to josh for taking time out of his day to tell this story i know it didn't turn out the way he wanted it to uh but you have that right Uh, sometimes you win sometimes you lose and sometimes other people win and and you don't really lose i don't know it's uh it's it's uh it sucks in a way but that's that's hunting that's especially bow hunting especially bow hunting for a single deer so huge shout out to tethered wasp hunt stand and vortex please go out support the companies that support this podcast and then it's nothing but good vibes man uh we gotta support other hunters and uh good vibes in good vibes out wear your damn safety harness and we will talk to you next time